Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Listen, and you'll know. First of all, if you haven't heard this yet, I love this. Rod Arquette on Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Now, before I get into uh, what the governor said today about school vouchers, and I've got a lot to say about that today, um, I want to join with others who you've heard on this radio station today, and I think people around the country, and honor two American heroes today, one of which, of course, here in Utah, Gail Halverson, the candy bomber. You know, years ago we had Gail on the show. He was he told delightful stories, and, you know, there are so many tributes pouring in. I mean, even the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the German government, Posted something today honoring uh, Colonel Halverson for what he did in dropping candy to uh, German children who were trapped behind the lines after World War II in 1948. It was really an inspiring story. And a lot of people, I mean, I remember two, three, four, maybe longer than that, um, you know, the Tabernacle Choir honored him. Uh, by dropping little pieces of candy from the ceiling there at the conference center, I believe, is where it was years ago. And it really just a nice man and was honored today. Um, and he passed away today at the age of 101. And what a wonderful life he has led just to bring a, a, a smile to a child's face trapped behind the Iron Curtain in the lines when everything went up back in 1948. So, you know, thank you. Uh, Gail, what an example you have set for all of us, and we really do appreciate it. And today is the one-year anniversary of uh, Rush Limbaugh passing away after, uh, what, a year-long battle with lung cancer, passed away on this day. A lot of people have been honoring uh, Rush today as well. Uh, Clay and Travis, or Clay and Buck today, had uh, Rush's widow Catherine on the air talking about life after Rush now. Uh, Sean talked about him. Sean, very, very close friends with uh, with uh, Rush Limbaugh. And let me tell you what, you know, um, it is really a celebration of his life today to uh, honor him. I mean, he is without a doubt uh, the father of conservative talk radio. Um, his show, which was on this station for a long, long time, I think almost from the very beginning, uh, you know, Stations were built around the Rush Limbaugh show. They were. And, um, you know, it took me a while, quite a few years, as a matter of fact, to really have an opportunity to listen to Rush. But after I got to listen to him, and I think, what do you say? He used to ask, give me six weeks, you know, three months, whatever. So you can really understand what the program is all about. And I was able to do that. And uh, first of all, it was about entertainment. He was an entertaining guy. And I know a lot of people were offended because of his phrases, you know, on loan from God and, you know, half my brain tied behind my back. That was all part of a shtick. And uh, if you understood that, but listen to what he had to say was unbelievable. And uh, Rush, people would ask me, and they still ask me today, you know, what was Rush's magic formula? I don't know if he had a magic formula, but he talked to the common man. I mean, both him and Paul Harvey, in my opinion, could speak to the average American, the everyday American who are out there busting their fannies 
just to try and make this country great. And Rush could do that. And Rush would have the ability to take things that were very complicated and bring them down to a level that everybody could understand. And you would listen to Rush. Let's say there was a big event the day before Rush's show came on the air, on any given day. And you'd always wonder, what is Rush going to say about this today? And he would look at a story, maybe a story everybody was talking about, but from a completely different angle. And you would say to yourself, I never even thought of that. And that was a gift. That was the talent that Rush Limbaugh paid, and we appreciate him. And since then, of course, Clay Travis and Buck Sexton are being very, they're very successful, and especially in Salt Lake City, huge numbers in the midday. So they have really picked up the mantle and have done a very good job with it. How are you, everybody? Welcome to the Rod Arkent Show on this Thursday, the 17th day of February. Great to have you along for the ride as you work your way home. Snow yesterday, a beautiful afternoon today. If you want to be a part of the program, 888-5708010, or on your cell phone, dial pound 215 and say, hey, Rod. All right, um, the governor today, and Abby's been reporting this today, came out today and basically said, look, I'm going to veto the school voucher bill if it passes. That's going to be a real challenge. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyways. I'm starting to wonder who the real governor of this state is. Is it Spencer Cox or is it Heidi Matthews, who is the president of the Utah Education Association? Sometimes I wonder. If she doesn't look to the governor and say jump, and he responds by saying how high. I mean, what the governor said today, there are so many things that he said today. If you aren't aware of the story, the governor during his monthly news conference today said he will veto the school uh, choice voucher bill. Now, he claimed during his remarks at his monthly news conference today that he is all for school choice, not just now. Now, I want to let you hear what the governor said, because he was asked to respond to a question about the school voucher system. Here's what he's had to say. It's a little long, but listen what he had to say. I am an advocate for choice. I'm a huge believer in choice. And uh, I think that, uh, that that parents should be able to use uh, taxpayer money um, in, in other ways. Um, we, uh, we have an incredible charter uh, system of schools here in, in, in our, our state. We have more choice than we've ever had before. And uh, I think that's good. I think that's positive. And uh, at some point, I will be absolutely willing to support vouchers, but that point is not now um, because we, we are underfunding our schools. You can't, you can't take money that could go to our schools and, and allow it to go to private schools when you're not fully funding the education system in our state. Uh, the average starting salary for a teacher right now um, in Utah is $43,000. That's... At, actually a significant improvement and it tells you how far we have to go and 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 so I, I think the average pay not an average starting pay average pay for a teacher in the state is 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 north of fifty thousand dollars maybe fifty three thousand dollars somewhere around there um, and and so I, with with the price of housing with inflation happening right now um, I don't want to live in a state where teachers can't buy a home that's that's not okay and so you know I when when teachers are making sixty thousand dollars a year to start um, I will fully support vouchers I'm all in on vouchers but we have a long way to go before we get there um, I want to get there I believe in vouchers I can't wait to get there but now is not the time so uh, let, let's get our starting teacher pay at sixty thousand dollars and then let's do vouchers so will you veto it if it gets to your desk? 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would. And interesting how he uh, stammered a little bit when he asked the question about if he's going to uh, veto the bill. Now, let me let me bring up, uh, bring up a couple of things about this. We are going to sponsor, or we're going to be talking with a sponsor of that bill, State Representative Candace Perucci, coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Get her response to this today. But let me, di- let me break this down a little bit for you, from my opinion. And we'll get to your calls in the 5 o'clock hour about this as well. Governor, if you say you're an advocate of school choice, then be an advocate of school choice. School choice, it will take bold leadership. It will take someone to say, things are going good now, but we're going to make them even better. I'm going to shake it up. Why not experiment with school choice and see what happens here in the state of Utah? School choice, I don't know how abundant it is in the state right now. Only you know that out there, you moms and dad. But, uh, you know, so what if it's abundant? Why not bring even more competition to public education in this state? You know, at, you know, saying that education is underfunded in this state, how much more money do we have to give to education in this state to make them happy? I mean, this state, over the last several years, and it was during Governor Herbert's administration, was increasing education spending to the tune of millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. Yet, apparently, they aren't satisfied enough. And to say, you know, we've got to get a teacher starting salary of a teacher, to $60,000 before I'm in favor of this. Let me tell you what, Governor, and so they can afford a house, okay? Let me tell you what, when I started out in this business, and I bet many of you the same thing, when you started out in your career, what did you do? You didn't run out and buy a house right away, did you? No, you rented for a while. You built up some savings, so you make that down payment. That's what happens. And $60,000 a year here in the greater Salt Lake area, and then go to rural Utah, there's a huge difference there. So, Governor, I, I, I really believe you missed an opportunity here today to come out and say, you know what, I'm for school choice, and I'm willing to take a look at this, see what they've got in the works, but not come out and say, you know, until they get $60,000, I'm not going to go for school choice. Governor, you made a mistake on this one. I honestly believe that. And I'm going to get your reaction to it, your phone calls on this a little bit later on in the show. And we'll have the sponsor of this bill join us in the 5 o'clock hour as well. All right, a lot to get to. Senate President Stuart Adams will join us next on the Rod Arquette Show. And a little bit later on, Sim Gill, the Salt Lake County District Attorney, will join us as well. A lot to get to today. Great to be with you here on Utah's Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Listen and you'll know. Here's Abby now with the news update. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. 
And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill Well, it's a long, long journey to the Capitol City It's a long, long wait while I'm sitting in committee But I know I'll be a law someday At least I hope and pray that I will But today <laughs> I am still just right, a bill Yes, I'm KNRS. only a bill Listen, and you'll and know Well, the Utah legislature down to what? Well, about their final week, I believe. Long, long um, final two weeks, I'm sorry. Final two weeks. And there's a lot to get to. And they've got a number of bills. I think we heard one lawmaker tell me yesterday on the show that, uh, you know, his bill, I think it was the bill on uh, uh, stopping businesses from enforcing vaccine mandates. Uh, and he said he's got his bill in line, but there are 50 other bills in front of him. And there are probably a lot more than that even today. So there's a real effort on the part of lawmakers. They only have until a couple of weeks from now, I think two weeks from today, as a matter of fact, that they will adjourn and go home, and they've got a lot of work in front of them. Joining us on our Newsmaker line, it's been great to have a weekly chat with our next guest, uh, State Senator Stuart Adams, President of the Utah Senate, joining us on our Newsmaker line. Two weeks to go, Senator Adams. You going to make it and get it all done? Hey, this is when we do all our work the last few weeks for us. Good to be with you. So what have you been doing prior to this, Senator? <laughs> We've been getting ready. Yeah, there's a lot of preparation for these last two weeks. Uh, Senator, of course, the buzz today is on the uh, governor saying he's going to veto the school voucher bill if it makes it through. I want to ask you, first of all, uh, Senator Adams, um, over the years, I think the Utah legislature has made a, a huge effort to get as much money as possible to education here in the state of Utah. Is that a fair statement? It is. We, uh, you know, we, we have record funding for education. We will continue to fund education at record levels. You know, a lot of people talk about the per-pupil spending, and that's because we have big families. It's very hard to, to, to move that needle when you have the, uh, double the birth rate, the national average. But we've always been 50% or higher of our budget for expending that education. We've always been in the top five or ten states and the nation as far as percent of budget spent on education. We won't quit that, and we're going to continue to fund education. What is your opinion of school choice? Well, you know, I was perplexed at the governor's decision to veto because he said he wanted more, more higher salaries for educators. But I'm going to give you a quick example. If, if we have a $10,000 WPU, I mean, the weighted per-pupil unit or per-pupil spending in the state of Utah, and you give somebody a $5,000 voucher to leave, and they go to a private school, that leaves $5,000 left in the budget to spread among all the other students. And you'll have smaller classroom sizes, and you'll have more money to spend on teacher salaries. So what I'm hearing is you want smaller classroom sizes and more money for teacher salaries. This, this type of scholarship fund, the HOPE Scholarship, actually accommodates that. And it's just math. And I think we, as you look and analyze it, I think people have misunderstood it. And I think it's really hard to try to get the word out and get the public to understand that this actually will strengthen public education and give parents choice. Why does the education community, Stuart, make such a big deal about per-pupil spending? You hear that all the time. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, obviously used all over the country, but in, in Utah, you know, it's a real little different, little, little difficult to, to compare it because if I'm in New York and I'm making maybe two hundred thousand dollars a year, and I've got one child at home, my 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 home child income is two hundred thousand dollars, but if I come to Utah 
and I make, I've got four kids at home. If I took four times 200,000, so I'd have the same per child income, I'd have to make $800,000. The math doesn't make sense. So Utah will never have a very high per pupil spending, but we'll, we'll always have a high, and we've always had a high percent of our budget. And we spend as much or more than any other state in the nation on, our, on, on education. We just have a lot of kids. The governor said today at his news conference he won't move on school choice until teachers make $60,000 each. Can the state afford that? Could we ever get well, to that again, point? I think I think school choice actually gives us the ability to do that because if you actually, again, one more time, re, uh, give a child to leave the system less money than you're spending on them, they actually leave more money in the system, which allows you to raise teacher salaries and and make classroom size smaller. So the solution to, to, to the, the governor's goal of trying to get teachers up to $60,000 is that could actually be school choice. There are a lot of other issues out there. I know a number of lawmakers, you weren't able to do so, but took a helicopter ride over the Great Salt Lake. Brad Wilson has now put, I think, a price tag of about $40 million working toward the Great Salt Lake to save the lake. Um, are you going to do something to save the lake this year? Well, uh, we're, we're trying, and again, it's a very complex issue. I support the efforts. The lake is valuable to us. We're all concerned about the receding lake levels. Uh, you know, it's going to be difficult. Water is a difficult thing to understand, but we're working on it, and I think the $40 million is a is a, a good amount of money. I don't think anybody knows how much it'll take, but we probably need to start somewhere. We need to understand it, and we need to probably spend some efforts to understand it. So I support Speaker Wilson's efforts. What would we have to do to save the lake? I mean, how big of an effort could this be? Well, the first thing is probably pray for snow, Rod. And I hope <laughs> yeah. that counts, okay? But uh, after we pray for snow, and we're, we hope we get some of it, uh, I think there's some water rights. There's probably water management. Again, when you when you water your yard and you put too much water, you don't water it enough. You actually dry up the aquifer. If you the 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 the, the wastewater flow into the lake is a big deal. Trying to be able to control that. It's just a very complex issue, and I think if we had the answers to it, we'd be after it, and I think the $40 million that's being appropriated is to try to find those answers, because I don't know if we have all of them. The transgender bill has made it out of the House with a veto-proof majority. Where do you think it's going to do in the Senate? Well, we're looking at it very closely. Again, I, I think when you're looking at women's sports, we're trying to find a way to make sure that it's fair. And as you see, uh, you know, the transgender population is a transgender, wo- transgender woman competing against other women is causing a lot of problems because of the physical uh, uh, differences between uh, the, the sexes. And so we're trying to find a way to actually deal with that. It's very complex. Uh, the solution that came from the House is data-driven, and we need to look at data, and that'll probably decide the fate of this bill in the Senate. To me, this is a very black and white white issue, uh, Stuart, to be real honest. I don't see much gray here. Can there be compromise? Well, I don't think we have a compromise. And again, I think I think I think we need a policy, and I think the policy will set the, the will set will actually determine the outcome. And when you if you're able to get good data and you're able to compare that data with with the norms, I think we'll have a good solution. All right, final question for you. The uh, outdoor retailers looking at uh, possibly either staying in Denver or going elsewhere, mentioning Salt Lake City, but there's some outfitters out there saying, no, we're going to fight it if it comes back to Salt Lake City. Your thoughts on that? Well, without question, Salt Lake should be the retail retail. 
the resort and capital of the world. And and what we have is outdoor retailers want to come here because of our great our great national parks and the great outdoors and the recreational facilities we have. It fits here. It should be here. But uh, if they don't want to come, that's fine with us. Uh, we, they left. We've, our economy's done great. We'd love to have them back. If they come, that's just a bonus. If they don't, that's up to them. Uh, it sure is. Stuart, great chatting with you. I think we'll have one more conversation before you guys head home. So thanks for your time. I look forward to it. Thanks, Rod. All right. The Senate President Stuart Adams joining us on our Newsmaker Line, talking about a variety of issues. They've got another two weeks to go, and then they're on their way out. After this 2022 legislative session, the Rod Arcan Show continues here on Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. Listen, and you'll know. Hi, Scott. Give me back my freedom. Give me back my land. Give me back my money. I want to be loyal. I want to be a free man. The Rod Arcan Show. On Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. All right, welcome back to the Rod Arquette Show on this uh, Thursday. Heading into the uh, President's Day weekend, believe it or not. Can you have, can you believe that already around? Great to be with you. You know, we just, uh, we, we talked about the uh, school voucher bill that the governor indicated today he would veto if it comes out of the legislative session. Uh, and then we talked with... Uh, Senate President Stuart Adams about a number of issues, including the voucher bill and the Outdoor Retailers Association. There are a lot of bills up on uh, Capitol Hill in the final couple of weeks. Now, one interesting bill is uh, Senate Bill 126. It's called the Officer Intervention and Reporting Amendments Bill. Well, what is that all about? Let's find out. Joining us on our Newsmaker line is Sim Gill. Sim, of course, Salt Lake County DA. Sim, how are you? Welcome back to the Rod Arquette Show. Always a pleasure, Rod. Always a pleasure. Sim, what does this SB 126 bill do? Well, it's a really important bill, which is a collaboration between the Fraternal Order of Police, the Salt Lake County Sheriff's Office, the different law enforcement agencies, the DA's office, uh, and ACLU, NAACP, and the Utah Black Lives Matter. Uh, It's a collaboration that says that when officers... Uh, witness uh, uh, something that is illegal. They have a duty to intervene, and they also have a duty to uh, report without retaliation. Uh, and uh, and so this is important because there are many good men and women in our law enforcement, and uh, everybody agrees that we have a duty to uh, do the right thing. But when you have somebody who doesn't do that, that they can do so without being retaliated, without uh, having fear of any kind of repercussions, and it sets those minimum standards. And so it really takes what we believe and uh, hold ourselves to, which is to doing the right thing, and actually operationalizes that and puts it in practice in a way that we can change culture. So this safeguards officers, but the good officers, if they see a, a bad officer do something wrong, uh, and then it also protects the law enforcement agencies, and ultimately, it builds that uh, trust with our community. So this is a really important bill, uh, and uh, it was really the effort uh, of this collaboration mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. that our office has been working on for two years. Sim, how does it work now? I mean, if there's an officer out there and this officer sees the fellow officer doing something illegal or wrong, how does it work now and how does this change things? 
Well, in theory, uh, and and uh, in theory, it's supposed to be that everybody has that affirmative obligation to do that. But in practice, if it is not supported by uh, the agency, if the culture isn't there, and then if there is retaliation against that officer, then those good officers uh, are silenced. You know, I've always said that uh, when uh, when uh, when you hail, will fail to hold bad officers accountable, good officers suffer, and it is really honoring and respecting those good men and women who are there, and it safeguards them so we can actually operationalize uh, and change that culture. It's there on the books for uh, everybody will say it, but it's not necessarily there practiced or, or in that culture. Why does law enforcement want this, Sim? You mentioned the Fraternal Order of Police. Why do they want it? Because, because everybody agrees. Everybody agrees that if there is that one officer who is not following the law, if there is that one officer who violates the law or does something improper, that officer's conduct impacts all the good officers who are there. And it also impacts that agency, uh, and it impacts that profession, and it erodes and deteriorates that trust with our community. So every, every single one of them has a vested interest here. The officer in the field has that interest. The agency has that interest. Our community has that interest, and they should be able to do so without fear of retaliation or being iced out or being the object of ridicule or derision. Do you have any sense how much misconduct is taking place in the state? Well, you know, part of the challenge is we don't know, because uh, I can certainly tell you that uh, we've certainly, as a DA's office, uh, reviewed cases where those men and women who take their job seriously want to raise that concern uh, and just because we should, because they want to be self-critical, because they uh, believe in their profession, and then sometimes those other officers around them can retaliate, can ice them out, and they feel like they don't have that support. So that when that when this this is such a positive affirmative bill by law enforcement to say we're willing to take that responsibility, but we want to make sure that this is something that the uh, administration is committed to, that we will be protected when we do that. And so it really is about honoring the efforts of those good officers. What about uh, bipartisan support up on the Hill? Where does it stand? Uh, it is. It has passed b- both uh, houses. It is awaiting the governor's uh, signature. And that's why this is so exciting. Right, I've been doing this for 26 years to have this coalition of people coming together and agreeing. Now, everybody doesn't get everything they want, but participatory democracy is building that consensus and this is what good, good reform looks like, because it helps us change culture and build that trust with our community. Will it change, really bring that big of a change to how officers conduct their business each and every day, Sim? I think it will. I think it will, uh, because it also uh, instructs Post to in, uh, incorporate this into their training. It, uh, it, uh, it encourages them to uh, build it as a part of their training protocol with minimum standards. It's not only about something that you see wrong that's occurring there and uh, you have a duty to intervene uh, there if you can do so safely, but it is also to report that so we can learn from it so we don't repeat those mistakes. And that environment, if it's supported by the administration and is focused on protecting those good officers, I think we will see some fantastic results from this. All right. Sim, always great chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. On our newsmaker line, Sim Gill, Salt Lake County District Attorney, talking about uh, SB 126, 
officer intervention and reporting amendments kind of lays out the uh, when an officer can uh, intervene in a fellow officer who he feels may be doing something wrong or even illegal. Uh, and it's passed the uh, both session or both um, the Senate and in the House, and now apparently is sitting on the governor's desk for his signature. More coming up. On the Rod Arquette Show and Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS, listen, and you'll know. Now there's word from my good friends at American Loans. You know, the COVID crisis, let's admit it, it has impacted all of us. Some of us have lost jobs, maybe lost businesses, or had credit challenges because of everything that happened with the economy shutting down. Well, American Loans wants you to know they are here to help as we begin this recovery. They have some of the lowest rates available and can help someone that may have experienced credit challenges over the last year or two due to COVID-19. American Loans, that's a mortgage company that is based right here in the state of Utah. The Better Business Bureau has given it an A-plus business rating. And like I said, they've been around for 30 years. This gives you, in my opinion, the longevity and the experience to provide the best advice on your mortgage and the options you have available. Whether you're looking to purchase or refinance your home, you can trust American Loans to have your best interest at heart. Why not reach out to them today? Online, go to AmericanLoans.com. Don't forget the S, AmericanLoans.com, or you can give them a call right now. All you do is have to dial pound 250 and say the keywords, American Loans. Here's Abby now with the news update. Thanks, Rod. You tell us. All right, welcome back to the uh, Rod Arquette Show on this Thursday. Coming up in the uh, 5 o'clock hour, the governor said today, top story I think today, is that the uh, governor is basically saying, look, uh, you know, I'm going to veto this uh, school voucher bill that is being kicked around in the legislature. And, well, I'm all for school choice. Really? Uh, You know, he wants every teacher in the state to make at least $60,000 a year. And he's not in favor of school choice until they get there. Uh, we'll talk with the sponsor of the bill. We'll get her reaction to that coming up in the uh, in the 5 o'clock hour. And I want to get your reaction to it as well. We'll open up the lines to you, 888 or on your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, Hey, Rod, let's check out some uh, COVID-19 news for you real quick today. Uh, this is very encouraging, I think. But as you dig into the data from this latest YouGov poll, you'll see that not all is at it appears. Um, specifically, for some reason, according to this new poll, Democrats have a very funny idea of what being ready to return to normal actually entails. Now, I think to you and me, it might mean we're ready to drop all restrictions right now, right? And, and I think, for the most part, I think that we've done that here in the state of Utah. But to Democrats, for some reason, it appears to mean ready to drop all restrictions once the virus makes it safe to do so. Virus isn't going to make it safe to do so. Let me tell you that. Um, Are you ready to return to normal from the COVID-19 pandemic? Here are the results. 77% of those surveyed in this latest survey say yes. 23% say no. Now, of registered voters, 79% say yes. 21% say no. Uh, as far as voters, uh, Biden voters in 2020, 21 per- or 71% say yes. Donald Trump, 
92% of Trump voters in 2020 say, yes, it's ready to lift the restrictions. Now, here's some good news. The Omicron wave, of course, has hit the United States. But now there appears to be millions of individual Americans' immune systems now recognizing the virus and are primed to fight it off if they encounter Omicron or even any other variant. About half of eligible Americans have received booster shots. There have been nearly, nearly, I should say, these numbers are amazing, 80 million confirmed infections overall, and many more infections have never been reported. So basically, an estimated 73% of people in the U.S. are now immune to Omicron. 73%. So is that enough? I certainly think it is. I don't know about you, but I think those are very good, very, very good numbers. Now, this is some very good news. I shot a note today uh, uh, to Larry Gelwigs with uh, Columbus Morris Murdoch Travel and asked him, you know, are things starting to come back? And he says, yeah, Rod, we're really starting to see the trend pick up out there. Uh, Americans, they're, they're bursting at the seams. They, they want to get out and have a good time, and you can't blame them. Now, what's interesting about this, though, is that Americans are going, they're traveling, or they're getting ready to travel. They're booking their travel. Uh, they're going out to eat. Where were, I, I was at lunch someday, uh, last Friday, a week ago. And um, this restaurant, this uh, uh, restaurant just down from where our studios are located, at noon, that place was bustling. I mean, that was very, very busy. You couldn't get a seat in there. So I think Americans are ready to return to a restaurant. Haven't been to a movie for a while. I'm not sure how the movies are doing right now. I don't know if there's a movie out there to see, to be real honest. <laughs> to be honest, uh, I don't think there's one. To, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it says jackass. Have you seen that, E-Ray? <laughs> it, what people do to themselves to get into a movie, right? But there's not much else out there. So I haven't been, I haven't been to a movie for a while. Uh, but here's what's funny. Americans are returning to restaurants and movie theaters at a higher rate than they are to their offices. And E-Ray and Abby can I can attest to that one because this is a ghost town. I mean, you know, now wait till tomorrow. Start of a three-day weekend, right? Wait till tomorrow. There ain't going to be anybody around here. So I find it interesting that people are willing to go out and socialize, going to a restaurant, having a good meal, going to a movie, enjoying a movie, but they're, 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 they're reluctant to go back to the office. Now, maybe that they've found that, you know, and I know, I, I've talked to people who now work from their office or work from their home. They don't care if they ever go into an office again. They're getting things done. They're happy with it. Um, and they get the job done. So why go to an office place? I tell you, my feelings about it, I miss the energy from people. I do. I mean, E-Ray and Abby and Jace are great to work with. We have a few people come in. But for the most part, I miss seeing the staff. Uh, because they're really good people, they're fun associates, and you kind of miss a little bit the energy that I think you get from people. But apparently, a lot of people say, yeah, we'll go out and eat, we'll go to a movie, we'll go to a, a concert, we'll go to a sporting event, but we just aren't ready to return to the office yet. I wonder if it's ever, in that regard, ever, ever going to be, be get back to normal. All right, uh, interesting hour coming your way. The governor today said until teachers in the state make $60,000 a year, he's not in favor of school choice. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. And he will veto a bill on school vouchers if, in fact, it gets to his desk this year. We're going to be talking with a sponsor of that bill and get her reaction to it. Stuart Adams says there may be some confusion here. There is going to be money and money for teachers under this bill, but apparently the governor doesn't believe it. We'll talk about that and get your reaction to it. All coming up in hour number two of the Rod Arkentro. Stay with us. Hour number two on Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS and live everywhere. If you download the iHeartRadio app, thanks for joining us. Hour number two, as I mentioned, here on Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. All right, I think the story of the day is um, really what the governor had to say today. The governor, he held his monthly news conference. He does this every month up at KUED. And he was asked a number of issues, asked a question about the Outdoor Retailer Association, said we really do want them back, but it's their choice and we aren't going to roll over. He also was asked about the school voucher bill and school choice. Now, I'm in favor of this bill. I think I think competition is very good, and I think uh, what they're trying to do here is the direction that we need to go. The, the governor today said, I am going to veto this. This is what he had to say. This is what he had to say during the news conference today. When teachers are making $60,000 a year to start, um, I will fully support vouchers. I'm all in on vouchers. But we have a long way to go before we get there. Um, I want to get there. I believe in vouchers. I can't wait to get there. But now is not the time. So uh, let, let's get our starting teacher pay at $60,000, and then let's do vouchers. My reaction to that, Governor, if you want to get to school choice, what are you waiting for? Get to it now. Joining us on our Newsmaker line is the sponsor of the school voucher bill, State Representative Candace Perucci. Candace, how are you? Welcome back to the Rod Arquette Show. Have we got you there, Candace? Hey, I can hear you now. <laughs> there we are. There we are, Candace. Candace, your reaction generally to what the governor said today? You know, I have been reaching out to the governor's office since uh, actually before this. I've been working with them and provided them a copy of the bill even before it was public and have, you know, made attempts to try and work to find common ground on this issue. Uh, so it, it's unfortunate that he chose to make that statement today without even uh, having a conversation with me about it. Um, but I will say his comments don't change the legislative process, and they don't change my commitment to fine-tuning this policy and really finding better ways to empower parents. Uh, I really do think, as well as you know, Rod, bills change and evolve through the legislative process. And so since the committee hearing... I've been working on a substitute where we can try and address some of those accountability concerns that were voiced. 
uh, but also adding the component of if a student's been bullied, that they would also be able to apply for the scholarship. We've seen great success in other states have used this, and uh, that was one of the common themes um, when we had the committee, that that really is a challenge, particularly for our minority communities. Candace, how, how would the bill actually work? It's called the HOPE Scholarship Program. How would it actually work? Great question. So similar to an educational savings account, ESAs are, are very popular across the country. And something that most people are familiar with is how an HSA works. So what it would work is how it would work is you would apply for a, this scholarship uh, through a scholarship granting organization. And once you were approved, you would be able to go onto the Sally Envisionment, an online portal, and there's a list of service providers that have to be approved by the scholarship granting organization that you could direct some of that scholarship money too. If you're using it outside of an approved service provider, then you would submit a receipt to be reimbursed for it. So I know a lot of the emphasis has been based upon uh, this going to private school tuition, but we actually anticipate that the majority of people who use this will use it for micro schools and home schools, getting curriculum, uh, hiring a part-time teacher, um, that sort of thing, as opposed to just going to straight private school tuition. Why not just give it directly to the parents, Candace, instead of giving it to the various schools? I think I read that or heard that right. Uh, and if if it went directly to the schools, wouldn't there be some strings attached to it? So that's another fantastic question. Uh, part of the concern for this is that we are using taxpayer dollars, and the idea is empowering parents to have access to those, to their own tax dollars, and be able to use them accordingly but also being able to have some accountability in the system uh, to prevent fraud and abuse, which is why it would go through a scholarship granting organization for approval on that. And, and can you refresh on the second part of your question? No, I, I mean, uh, why not just give it directly to the parents? Uh, that, I mean, to just send them a check for the yeah, scholarship yeah, amount? Yeah, there, um, I can tell you there wouldn't be support for just doing that based on conversations with colleagues. They do want to see that there is some oversight in the process to see where that money goes. And and in terms of strings attached, uh, this is not federal money. There is not going to be any federal strings attached in terms of state strings. It's not going to change curriculum standards or anything to our homeschoolers. Uh, like I said, though, this is a way to have a level of oversight with the scholarship granting organization on how mm -hmm. those funds are spent. Mm -hmm. Candace, uh, we had Heidi Matthews on last week talking about this and an issue that she raised. She's the head of the Utah Education Association, the issue yeah. she raised was accountability. There's no accountability here under this program. You mentioned you're working on it. But then I asked her, well, what kind of accountability is there in education today? I mean, why is this accountability yeah. question so important? Well, to your point, Rod, so students, uh, we have a 98% graduation rate, but some schools you have a 40% proficiency rate coming yeah. out of, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. I'm not, and, and I will tell you as someone who graduated in 2010, so not that long ago, <laughs> I would have teachers who tell me, uh, you know, I have to teach you this because it's on the state test. And we have universally accepted that we really don't like over-testing our kids. And yet when we introduce a program like this, the first thing we say is, well, we got to test everyone. And I would be more in favor of rolling back some of the testing requirements that we put on public education. I think that's huge. And to say there's no accountability is not fair. We actually have a very robust system in place for the scholarship granting organization in the current bill language that they would go through a regular auditing process, a regular review process, and that the state auditor would have to um, 
the state auditor would have to also do a review on cost savings to the state for this program. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Stuart Adams was on a short time ago uh, as well, Candace. He said, look, if we're giving $5,000, the, the money that you're talking about, was this originally, and I think the price tag is what, $36 million, something like that. Was this it's a, capped at $36 okay. million. Was it originally intended to go to education, or is this money coming from somewhere else? This is a separate line item of appropriation. It is through the income tax revenue, yes. However, we fund programs outside of the WPU all the time with income tax revenue. And I would say we are planning on giving a generous increase to the WPU and public education funding. It is not mutually exclusive. You can support school choice and acknowledge that some parents and students would be better served with additional options while also supporting a robust public education system. So I I think it's actually insane to say that you can't do both. Um, So you have the $36 in place, and then when you look at the scholarship amount, we're actually looking at that amount. We arrived at it by looking at local pupil funding, so property taxes that are generated, obviously. There's a portion of that that goes to schools, and then also the WPU, and that's how we arrived at that number. This bill... To make it very clear, would not touch local per pupil funding or federal funding. Even after a student is no longer attending that school, those funds would still go and flow into there. Um, it's not impacted by this because they're not distributed the same way as the WPU. Mm-hmm. Candace, any idea what percentage of parents here in the state of Utah would take advantage of this if, in fact, it got through the legislature able to override the governor's veto? And my follow-up on that as well. You know, if you had, I don't know, 7% fewer students in a class or in a school, wouldn't teachers be happier about smaller class sizes? One of the biggest complaints people have is reduced class sizes. And I will tell you, with the fact that this is a capped appropriation amount, it's impossible that we really, truly could not gut the public education system with this. And and that's a good thing. And I would also point out that we've we've looked at this and we anticipate that we'll be able to serve roughly 9,000 students if they were to take full advantage of this. And I think you can point to the poll that was done. There was a Dan Jones poll that showed 69% of Utahns are in support of giving school choice options. And yes, that included allowing um, that public money to go to private school tuition if it was the parent's choice. And so I think this is a great opportunity for us as Utah to take a more holistic approach to children's education. Could we try it? And if it doesn't work, go back? I mean, could we just say, hey, we're going to try it, see if this works? Sure. With any government program, that is the case. And I'll tell you, the bill actually has a regular review process there that um, after it, you know, for the first year, the SGO, the scholarship granting organization, has to come back and report. And then they have an annual report where it can be reviewed by the legislature, by the auditor's office to make sure that it is working. And I think we have to stop being afraid of being innovative. And one of the most important elements of a child's life And, Rod, if I can just be frank, we need to start talking about students, not just systems, because the system was set up to serve students, and right now it's getting in the way of them having these opportunities. Yeah, that's a bold idea. I like it. Candace, thank you. Good luck with this, and we'll stay on top of it. Thank you, Candace. Thanks, Rod. Have a good night. All right, all right. On our Newsmaker Line, State Representative Candace Perucci, she is a sponsor of the uh, voucher bill that the governor came out today and said he's going to veto, no matter what happens with it. I'm going to let you hear what he said at the news conference, a longer version of what he said when we come back. I'm going to break it down again a little bit, and I want to get your reaction to it. Because, you know, the governor says, well, I'm all for school choice. School choice is great. I love it. I love it. I love it. 
but not this time. What does that mean? 888-570-8010, 888-570-8010. On your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod, your calls, your comments, coming up right here on the Rod Arkent Show. All right, we know January was a wild ride on the market, a big down day to get on today on Wall Street. There's really no telling what's ahead for the market. Inflation at record levels expected to continue to grow. This is why investing in the market, I think, is the best way to hedge against inflation, and that's why I invite you to work with the team at Trajan Wealth. The interest that banks are paying right now is really insulting, and that's why you shouldn't leave your money in banks. Why not make it work for you? At Trajan Wealth, they know that the market hates uncertainty, and there's still plenty of that going on. But one thing that they're starting to see is growth in the economy, right? Well, interest rates may go up this year. They are still relatively low historically. So if you want to chart a really solid path for your financial future, why not work with the team at Trajan Wealth? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. As fiduciaries, they always, they're licensed to put you first. If you already have a financial advisor, it never hurts to get a second opinion, does it? Set up an appointment today. Just go online to TrajanWealth.com to find out more or give them a call right now. 801-899-7600. That's 801-899-7600 for Trajan Wealth. Advisory services offered through Trajan Wealth LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Here's Abby now with a news update. Thanks, Rodda. You tell All right, welcome back to the Ron Arquette Show on this uh, Thursday. Beautiful afternoon on the outside, isn't it, as you head home tonight? Now, if you're just joining us here on the Ron Arquette Show, lines are open to you now at 888 888-5708010. On your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, Hey, Rod, the governor said today at his monthly news conference that if a proposed school voucher bill ends up on his desk, he is going to veto it. He said now is not the time for school choice in this state. He says, I love school choice, I support school choice, but eh, not yet, until a teacher in this state makes $60,000 a year. 
Now, I'm going to play the entire cut, Iray. Let's play the longer version of the comment that he made when he was asked about it during his monthly news conference today. Here's what he said when he was asked about the school voucher bill. I am an advocate for choice. I'm a huge believer in choice. And uh, I think that, uh, that that parents should be able to use uh, taxpayer money um, in, in other ways. Um, we, uh, we have an incredible charter uh, system of schools here in, in, in our, our state. We have more choice than we've ever had before. And uh, I think that's good. I think that's positive. And, uh, at some point, I will be absolutely willing to support vouchers, but that point is not now um, because we, we are underfunding our schools. You can't, you can't take money that could go to our schools and, and allow it to go to private schools when you're not fully funding the education system in our state. Uh, the average starting salary for a teacher right now um, in Utah is $43,000. That's actually a significant improvement and it tells you how far we have to go and 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 so I, I think the average pay not average starting pay average pay for a teacher in the state is 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 north of fifty thousand dollars maybe fifty three thousand dollars somewhere around there um, and and so I, with with the price of housing with inflation happening right now um, I don't want to live in a state where teachers can't buy a home that's that's not okay and so you know I when when teachers are making sixty thousand dollars a year to start um, I will fully support vouchers I'm all in on vouchers but we have a long way to go before we get there um, I want to get there I believe in vouchers I can't wait to get there but now is not the time so uh, let, let's get our starting teacher pay at sixty thousand dollars and then let's do vouchers so will Governor you veto one? it if it gets to your desk? Uh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow. I would. Wow. Well, I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute. The National Education Association donated $75,000 to my campaign to run for governor a year ago. Oh, maybe that's what he was thinking about, right? All right. Let me, I'm going to break this down for you, my thoughts on this. $43,000 a year for a starting teacher in Utah. He is right. That has come up considerably. The legislature is, uh, you know, has really given education a boost over the last several years. Fifty-three thousand is the average pay, so that means half of the teachers in this state more uh, make more than fifty-three thousand dollars a year. Okay, they can't buy a home. Governor, guess what? My guess would be that most teachers already in this state own a home, and if you're just starting out, how many of you? After you completed your degree, whether or not it was a technical degree or a, a you know a college degree in some field, st uh, left school, graduated from college, and the next day you went and bought a house. My guess is not a whole lot of you. I didn't, and my guess is you know it took me two or three years before we were able to save enough money and take a chance on buying a home. It wasn't easy, but my my sweet wife and I we made it. So these arguments that the governor had today, if, Governor, if you're for school choice, that is a bold move. When are we, you know, you need to be a bold leader here in this state. You need to say, you know what, I'm going to work with the sponsor of the bill, Candace Perucci, who we just had. We're going to find a way to do this. This is not money that was geared toward education to begin with. The bill itself would cost about $36 million, maybe serve about 9,000 students, but it is a start. The money probably wouldn't have gone to education to begin with. So education is not going to suffer if this happens, in my opinion. I want to get your thoughts on it. 888-570-8010. 888 
570-8010 on your cell phone, dial pound 250, and say, hey, Rod, to the phones we go, and let's talk with Leslie, who's in Utah County tonight. Leslie, how are you, and welcome to the Rod Arquette Show. I am fantastic tonight. How are you, Rod? I'm doing great, Leslie. What are your thoughts on this school voucher bill? <laughs> the time has come <laughs> to pay teachers $60,000, and, you know, unfortunately, Governor Cox, the man is you. You can make it happen. It's not like your hands are tired. And tied. Um, he is the spawn of Gary Herbert, a tiptoe around everything, do a pirouette here and a arabesque there, and do nothing. Um, and he's the man in charge to make it happen. Yeah, it's yeah. time for yep. teachers to get paid, and let's also do the voucher. Yeah, I. you know what? Leslie, thank you very much for your phone call. He, he He's being a politician. He really is. I mean, um, but instead of being a bold leader here, you know, he's beholden to teachers. What did he say the other day? I'm real worried about teachers in this state. We're all worried about teachers. We're all worried about each other, for crying out loud. We've just gone through two years of fear and hysteria brought on by governments and public health officials who talked about, guess what, COVID-19. Life will change. Guess what? We survived it. We're getting through it. Life is getting back to normal. So let's get back to normal as well. Why not be a bold leader? Why not get out there and say, you know what? That's an interesting idea. I'm going to take a look at it. I'm going to work with the bill sponsor, and let's see if we can try it here in the state and see what would happen. 888-570-8010 on your cell phone. Dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod, let's go to Ken, who's in West Jordan tonight. Ken, how are you? Welcome to the show. Great. Hey, I just want to make a point. Um, you know, and everyone gets mad when you say this, but teachers only work nine months a year, plus they get a ton of time off, but $42,000 over nine months, if you calculate that out, that's that's equal to $56,000 a year already that they're making if they worked 12 months a year. So they're already close to the 60000 the governor says they need to be paid by the sounds of it, if you use your calculations. Yeah, but, but if, you, if you go 60000 a year divided by nine months times twelve. That 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 would equal you making eighty thousand a year, going to work twelve months a year. Uh, so they're yeah. already there. Yeah. Plus they get, you know, they get two weeks off at Christmas. I don't get that. They get, <laughs> they uh, get UEA. They get deer hunting. They get spring vacation. They get, you know, uh, teacher preparation day. Plus. Um, I recall all of my teachers in high school having an hour prep time where they could go and prep. I don't, I don't get that. I work 50 hours a week, 12 months a year, and I, I do get vacation time and I do get benefits. But when I became, when I was going to college, I looked at, hey, what, what can an accountant make? What can an engineer make? What does a school teacher make? You you had your choice. Yeah, you chose yeah, yeah. to be a school teacher and make forty two thousand dollars a year, or you could have gone to school and become an accountant or an engineer or whatever and made fifty or sixty or eighty thousand a year. So don't get your career and then bitch and complain that you want more money because you're a school teacher. Yeah, good point, Scan. And you're right. You have a choice. You you know, you know, I have an older son. My oldest son was a teacher or is a teacher. He's still in education. And I remember he came and talked to us about what he wanted to do. He has a degree in finance, master's degree, I think now. And he said, I'm going to be a teacher. And I told him right up front, just like you said, Ken, a moment ago, you aren't going to make a whole lot of money as a teacher. And he said, that's okay. We'll make things work. I want to be a teacher. 
Good for him. I'm glad there are people out there like that. But realize going in, you aren't going to make a lot of money. You have to understand that. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of work, which I think a lot of teachers do. But didn't you all realize going in, you were not going to uh, all drive BMWs and have a mansion with a swimming pool in the back? 888-570-8010, On your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod. You know, tax season's here, and for some people who haven't filed every year, it's going to cause you a little bit of stress and a lot of worry, especially if the IRS is after you. Well, I've got some good news for people who need to make things right with the Internal Revenue Service. I want you to reach out to the law offices of Jordan F. Wilcox because they can help, even if you haven't filed in years. Are you getting audit notices, even worse, threatening letters about garnishment of your wages? That's when you need to call Jordan. He is the IRS tax expert. Dial pound 250 right now. Say the keywords, tax help UT for help. Jordan knows IRS tax law. He knows their procedures. He knows their protocol that you need to be able to follow for a successful representation when you're caught in that web of the Internal Revenue Service. Don't lose sleep over your tax debt. Stop the letters, stop the harassment, and the threats. Jordan is driven, smart, and he'll get the job done. All you do right now, set up a time for a free consultation at TaxHelpUT.com. That's TaxHelpUT.com, or on your cell phone, dial pound 250 and just say, TaxHelpUT. Help is on the way. Call Jordan Wilcox today. One man, one goal. Rod Arquette Show on Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. School choice. It is one issue that I think there are a lot of conservatives believe in. I think competition when it comes to education is good. Uh, The public school system, we have some great, great teachers here in the state. We do a fantastic job with the kids in the state. You know, there's some schools that do better than others. That's sometimes the makeup of the community, depending on what's going on there. But school choice, why not allow some competition into the public school system? I mean, why are we so protective of it? The governor was today. He said he's going to veto a school choice bill. Well, he's all in favor of school choice. He's not going to even take a look at it until every teacher here in the state of Utah makes at least $60,000 a year. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. I think he's wrong on that one. Why not be bold and try something different? Let's go to the phones and get your reaction to what the governor said today. Boyd is in Cottonwood Heights tonight on the Rod Arquette Show. Hi, Boyd. Yeah, hi, Rod. I, uh, I've been following this school choice and vouchers um, issue for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. 
and I've heard all the arguments on both sides. And, you know, listening to the governor, you would think that his top priority is to feed this machine called the education system. Mm-hmm. When in fact, the top priority, the top priority is to educate the kids. Right on. <laughs> I don't disagree with you at all on that one, Boyd. Why not put the children first instead of the system, Boyd? You know, he he's set an arbitrary figure of $60,000 per educator. Why? Yeah. Who, who? Why is that even a number? Why? Why can't we just... Uh, say, what does it take to educate a child? Maybe it's 30000 maybe it's 10000 maybe it's 100000 but why not experiment and use this as an opportunity to find out what it actually takes to get the results from the, the educational system and not just feed it? Yeah, well, you, you make very, very good points, Boyd, because that's, that's what we continue to do. Yet the numbers show, we, you know, here in the state of Utah, actually, we do a pretty good job with the amount of money that we have. Uh, and I think people are very satisfied with that. You know, um, you know, you'll hear from educators again. This is a, a a common phrase that the you well, do you know that Utah is one of I think second to lowest state when it comes to per pupil spending? Study that a little bit more, and ask an educator someday. Well, what is the ideal number when it comes to per pupil spending? My guess is they probably can't give it to you. Back to the phones. Let's go to Bountiful and talk with Michael tonight here on the Rod Arquette Show. Hi, Michael. How are you? Hey, Rod. Doing well. I appreciate the opportunity to speak. Thank you. Thank you. What are your thoughts on this, Michael? Well, we just have to ask ourselves as a community, as a state, if we value education, then we need to be willing to pay teachers so that we can recruit and retain the best teachers for our kids. And do you think we aren't doing that now, Michael? I think we're getting closer. I think the state has, has um, allocated a lot of money recently that's helped things, but it's still really tough to recruit and retain good teachers, I'll tell you that. Well, let me ask you this, Michael. Is $60,000 enough? $75,000? $85,000? What's the number? Well, I hate to give you a number because uh, with the rate of inflation, right, it's hard to come up with one number, but I think if, you, if you're able to, re- to recruit and retain quality employees, quality teachers, then you'll know you've hit that sweet spot. Will we ever hit that sweet spot, though, Michael? I mean, like you said at the beginning, we have allocated millions of dollars in this state, probably over the last five or six years, to education. How much more do they need? When is the ceiling? Well, <laughs> I think you're asking a great question. But if the data shows that we're uh, hemorrhaging teachers every year, then we haven't met that number. So, All right. All right. All right, Michael. Thank you. All right. More of your calls coming up. 888-5708010. 888-5708010. On your cell phone, dial pound 250. And say, hey, Rod, more of the Rod Arcancho coming up on Utah's Talk Radio 105.9. KNRS, listen, and you'll know. Time now for a news update. A state legislature. The Rod Arcancho here on Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. Listen and you will know. Coming up in the third hour of the show tonight, uh, we'll talk about food trucks here in the state of Utah and primarily along the Wasatch Front. 
There was a law to protect them a couple of years ago, but cities have found a way around it. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about gas prices. That's what Americans are concerned about right now. They aren't concerned about climate change, even though that's what the Biden administration wants you to think about. We're talking about school vouchers right now. The governor says if a bill gets on his desk on school vouchers, school choice, he's going to veto it. Your reaction to it. Dan is in Salt Lake City. Hi, Dan. How are you? Welcome to the show. Hey, Rod. Hey, uh, do a little bit of math here. There's 26,400 teachers, K-12, through in Utah. Mm-hmm. Let's do a little math and take $18,000 on average to move that forty-two to $60,000. we are talking about $465 million. The governor's statement is flat and total fake news BS. It's a pipe dream, and he knows it, and he's never going to find a half a billion dollars to bring that up. So why would he even say it? Well, he, you know, he, he says he's for school choice, but do you believe him, Dan? If he's for school choice, why not make a bold move and try it? Why not make a bold move and try it? Good point, Dan. Thank you for the math. Let's go to David in Cottonwood Heights tonight here on the Rod Arquette Show. Hi, David. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Rod. Hey, um, uh, one of the things I was kind of related to the last caller, I've lived here since 89. I can't remember an election cycle when we weren't funding more stuff to the, the school system. Uh, 150 million here, 250 million. I don't know. It's a lot of money, it seems like. And every time it comes up again, I think, and they're all talking about, oh, the teachers aren't getting paid enough. Where's all the money going? I mean, I I just think by now these people will all be rich and driving Mercedes. (laughs) Good point. You know, that's what I'd like to see the governor do someday. We're going to have a thorough audit in this state of where every education dollar goes in this state today. I would like to know where it goes as well, Dan, because it seems to me it's flying all over the place at times, David. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I, I just think there's an awful lot of money going there all the time for, and I don't know, maybe we've got a million teachers. I have no idea how many teachers there are. Uh, it's probably simple math. I could probably find it online. But I, I've always wondered, what are they doing with the money? Are they just putting it in the pockets of the supervisors are they building more buildings sometimes that's necessary and sometimes i'm not sure it is yeah um and, and then on top of that that the families have to pay a lot of fees for yeah, the kids they, to go to school they sure do david thank you appreciate your call let's go to john in taylorsville tonight here on the rod arquette show hi john how are you pretty good go ahead yeah i was wanting to make a comment about your sixty thousand dollar a year salary on and uh, I used to drive school bus myself, and I know darn well that that money isn't going to the school bus drivers. And I've never made anywhere close to 60000 in my entire life. And now I have to pay over $2,000 just to property taxes, which Granite School District is the largest contributor there. You know, are they going to give me $60,000 so I can pay my property taxes so that they can keep building schools and paying these teachers exorbitant salaries? I mean, where's the money supposed to come from? Yeah, you're right. Come from all of us. Uh, the taxpayer, I guess. Let's go to Mark on I-15 tonight. Hi, Mark. Hey, how's it going? Good. Thank you. Your thoughts on this, Mark? Hey. Well, the thing about it is there's not necessarily a correlation between the amount of money that's being spent per student. I mean, kind of mentioned it earlier, but the bureaucracy is where all the money tends to go. So why not just sign the bill and say, yeah, how about it? Because I think you kind of nailed it on before, which was, hey, if the NEA is putting money towards the governor's campaign, then he's kind of 
you know, it's in his pocket right there. Yeah. But the money doesn't necessarily have anything to do. Mitt Romney brought that up when he was in the debates a while back anyway. Yeah. Like, this is why we're failing. Yeah. It, 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 you know, let's have an accountability. Show some success. Prove us to a success. And there's some success. I mean, we're graduating from some really bright, bright kids. But, you know, this constant, constant. And I've lived here since 1979. You know, other than a few years up in Seattle. And there are three things that are common in this state. Taxes are too high, we need more water, and teachers aren't paid enough. This has been going on since I've been here in 1979, and I bet a lot longer for many of you. Dan is in Saratoga Springs tonight on the Radar Catch. Oh, hi, Dan. Hi there. Thanks, Rod, for letting me on. You're welcome. I was calling up to say that we have excellent teachers in the state of Utah, and yes. they produce yes. an excellent product. Yes. And giving them more money or saying, hey, we need to give them more money to have good teachers makes it sound like we have bad teachers and that we need to replace them. The money isn't the issue. Now, it might make their lives easier. The real issue is that, that we're failing some kids. And I am a parent of one of those children that have been failed. I have an autistic son that the system just didn't work with. And there's a lot of people that have bent over backwards to try to help him. And a lot of resources have been spent on him. And we had to go to an alternative source to be able to educate him. He's in high school now, and he's doing another uh, avenue uh-huh. of approach for education, and it's costing me money. And Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Is it working? We stop Dan? and say education should be better. Yeah, is it working? What we're doing though, Dan? is working quite good, well. Good, good. Thank you. Yeah. I, I interrupted you. Go but ahead. The si- now, the system failed him. The regular public school system failed him, even though they tried and put resources. But the alternative system, which a voucher would help do that, he would succeed with. And that's where people stop. They don't see the child. They're seeing a paycheck, a mm-hmm, career. Mm-hmm, Let's help somebody mm-hmm. else. It's a teacher. Yeah. And we do have excellent teachers. I, I graduated from the, the, the school system here myself, and I'm a product of it. But there are kids that are being failed. Yeah, they are. There are, Dan, and I'm sorry to interrupt. I've got to get to a break here for news at the top of the hour. You know, we'll see how this goes. Uh, Candace Perucci, who is the sponsor of this bill, said on the show just about, you know, an hour ago now, she's going to continue. She was hoping to work with the governor's office. Apparently they were not even open to this idea. Uh, We'll see where she gets with it. But this is a debate that we must continue to have in this state because first and more foremost, it's all about the kids. Isn't it? All right, when we come back, we'll talk about food trucks here in the state of Utah. Stay with us. Third hour, the Rod Arquecho is on its way. I'm Ed. The Rod Arquette Show on Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS and live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome back. Third hour of the Rod Arquette Show on this Thursday. and We've got a busy hour coming your way. We're going to talk about food trucks. We're going to talk about gas prices and climate change. We're going to talk about the uh, spikes in crime around the country. 
And we'll talk to uh, someone who has, for the past eight years, been a contributor and columnist to Forbes. Not anymore. We'll find out why. That's all coming up right here on the Rod Kent Show and Utah's Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. All right, food trucks. I, I'm a big fan of food trucks. I think they have some great food trucks here in the state of Utah. When we've traveled in the past, I remember we were in San Diego a year or two ago and at Balboa Park there, they have what they called a food truck Friday, and there were tens, almost hundreds of food trucks there in San Diego, and you could walk along and choose whatever food you want, and I'm a big supporter of food trucks, but Apparently, food trucks have run into a bit of a problem here in the state, despite the fact that a bill was passed a couple of years ago to protect them. Joining us on our Newsmaker Line right now is Kyle Sweetland. He is a researcher at the Institute for Justice, also co-author of the Food Truck Truth. Kyle, thanks for joining us this evening. Kyle, let me ask you about this. There was a bill passed a couple of years ago here in the state to protect food trucks and all the fees and licenses they have to get. But apparently some cities have found their way around that. Is that true, Kyle? Yeah. So that law that passed uh, a few years ago in 2017 was designed to prevent redundant inspections and permits so that food truckers could not have to go from city to city paying fees and uh, having to follow the same processes over and over again um, in order to just do their business in multiple places. Mm -hmm. So this new bill, what it's doing is it's actually minimizing that by requiring cities to recognize the licenses that they get in one municipality everywhere else. So it simplifies the process for a food truck owner. They don't have to keep on repeating that process, and uh, it makes it a lot easier um, for them to continue to operate in any city in in Utah. Kyle, since the law went into effect, how have cities found a way around it or a loophole around it to make you guys pay for the various fees and inspections, whatever you have to go through? How did the cities find a a way around it? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um, You know, there's definitely been uh, some things that have been going around uh, and not the cities are not necessarily obeying that law. Um, but there's uh, good contacts that um, you might want to reach out to. Taylor Harris at the Food Truck League, he, uh, he, he's noticed some of these cases where um, cities don't seem to be uh, paying attention to the state law and are still requiring um, these business owners in other cities to go through this process all over again. Um, and it's, it's creating this issue. So the state's uh, trying to take things into its own hands and uh, make this process a lot simpler for the food truck owners. Do food trucks in other states have similar problems, similar issues? Are you aware of at all? I'm not aware of any other issues at this moment, but um, certainly Utah is doing the right thing by trying to make it easier for food truck owners um, to be able to just do their business in, in other places. And Utah's bill, it's very similar to a bill that was passed in 2018 in Arizona, and uh, so it's, it's just basically recognizing the mobile nature of these food trucks and uh, their ability to, to go from one city to the next. Um, they need to be able to be mobile. And so this is helping encourage that business. So in the past, Kyle, uh, I want to make sure I understand this. If you owned a food truck and let's say you set up shop one day in Salt Lake City, the next day down in Sandy, the next day down in West Valley, would you have to get different permits each and every day just because you're so mobile? Yeah, mm-hmm, you would. Wow. And uh, huh. that's, that's, this thing is making it a lot simpler. Um, the Libertas Institute has really pushed this bill, and uh, they are definitely people who have, who have noticed the uh, benefits of being able to be mobile and that these, these licenses should be recognized across cities to make it 
uh, easier for these mobile food trucks to be able to go from one city to the next. There was a, and I think you're the author of this, uh, The Food Truck Truth, uh, Kyle, or wrote about this one time. Um, there's always been a concern that these food trucks are going to impact local restaurants, maybe decrease their take every night or end up closing the restaurant. You've done a lot of research into this. What have you found? Yeah, so what we did in our study, uh, Food Truck Truth, is we looked at 12 years of county-level data, 2005 to 2016, um, to see if, in fact, food trucks reduce the number of restaurants. And we found that, looking over this time period, um, that, in fact, food trucks don't cause restaurants to decline in a county. And, in fact, they seem to be having uh, the opposite effect. They seem to be thriving at the same time. So it strongly suggests that um, any sort of anecdotal evidence of, of harm here that comes up, really when you're looking at the bigger picture here, you're seeing that food trucks and restaurants, they can grow together and uh, actually seem to benefit each other. Do food trucks kind of create a sense of community when, uh, when people gather around them and waiting for their, uh, waiting for their uh, lunch or their dinner? There's a sense of a community with a food truck, <laughs> isn't there, Kyle? Yes, there is. And uh, actually, it's very interesting. Uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, some places around the country, several cities actually, have seen food trucks as an essential part of uh, revitalizing their communities. They bring foot traffic to uh, areas of the community that might not normally get a lot of foot traffic, and uh, they allow people to peruse other businesses, including other restaurants. Um, in addition to bringing, obviously, business to their own food truck. So it, it does have this uh, ability to bring a community together, and sometimes in places that you least expect it. Kyle, what is it about food trucks? I mean, I don't know when they started popping up and growing in popularity, but, you know, what do you attribute the success of food trucks to? Because you see a lot of them each and every day, and obviously they must be working or you wouldn't see the number of food trucks out there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'd say, you know, the success of food trucks. So really starting off in the Great Recession, um, when a lot of people in the restaurant industry were out of business and looking for work, um, they saw food trucks as a way of getting into uh, the business for themselves. And so a lot of people during the recession then were starting their own food trucks. And a lot of the success that came for food trucks was because they were able to be a lot more nimble than restaurants. And uh, they produced innovative food and and brought culinary innovation to um, an industry that may have plateaued a little bit in that regard. And so um, they bring a lot of fresh life and an ability to test out new products and to be able to, to bring those products to customers that want it. I've always heard, uh, Kyle, that the restaurant business is a tough one. The margins are very, very narrow. There are a lot of businesses and restaurants that start and they go out of business. Same with food trucks. Do they have the same success and failure rate as restaurants do? So, actually, I believe it's a little bit lower. Um, I don't have the exact numbers for food trucks, but about 60% of restaurants fail in their first year and 80% in five years. Um, in terms of the cost structure, you know, food trucks, they only cost around $100,000, but a brick-and-mortar restaurant costs about $500,000 to start up. And so sometimes people will say, well, food trucks, you know, have this cost advantage over restaurants, but we actually want to encourage, you know, people who can find ways to do things more cheaply and, and more innovatively like that. Um, it allows them to be a little bit more successful and not necessarily take on all the financial risks. And as a result, they're more likely to be successful. 
On our newsmaker line, Kyle Sweetland. He is a researcher at the Institute for Justice, also co-author of the book Food Truck Truth, talking about food trucks here in the state of Utah and legislation pending up on Utah's Capitol Hill. All right, I want to share with you right now a comment made by a mom, a parent, who had sent their child to Challenger School. Listen to what she had to say. She said, we couldn't be happier with the quality of education our children are receiving at Challenger. Even better, they couldn't be happier either. Challenger has instilled in them a love of learning that will set the foundation throughout their formal education. We're amazed at the advanced material they have already mastered and how quickly they have advanced. That's a happy parent and a happy child. And if you want your child to get the best in education, I recommend you take a look at Challenger Schools because parents love it when their kids come home excited about something they learned that day. And that happens quite often at Challenger School. Students at Challenger discover the strength of their own mind and love to move to the next level. Challenger, they've been around since 1963, and they have six locations up and down the Wasatch Front to serve you. Start your child's education early and start it right at Challenger School. Find out more. Go to challengerschool.com. That's challengerschool.com. Here's Abby now with the news update. Thanks, Robert. Welcome back to the Rod Arquette on this Thursday in Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. Listen, and you'll know, you know, one of the key issues in this midterm election year is going to be inflation. There are few more easily observable measures, I think, of the cost of everyday living than the price at the gasoline pump. Boy, have we seen some changes ever since Joe Biden became president of the United States. As a matter of fact, the price of gasoline all around the country is going up. And it may hit around $5 a gallon this summer, maybe even higher. There are stations in California that are close to charging $7 for a gallon of gasoline. Well, joining us on our Newsmaker Line to talk more about that is Jeff Anderson. Jeff is the president of the American Main Street Initiative, also writes for the American Greatness website. Check it out every day. Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Jeff, how surprising are Americans to realize and to look at just how fast gas prices have risen? How surprising is that to a lot of American people? I think it's pretty surprising to most Americans. I, back when gas prices were a dollar seventy-seven a gallon, less than two years ago, I don't think most Americans anticipated they would be uh, three forty-four as of about a week ago, and I think it's risen another nickel or so from there. I mean, the last time that gas prices doubled or nearly doubled uh, went up this much within a sixteen or within a two-year period was sixteen years ago. And so it's, it's pretty unexpected, I think. What, where do you think the administration, what do you think the administration is trying to do here, Jeff? Well, I think they're very cozy with environmental extremists, environmental advocates there, and that's their focus. They're on, uh, their focus is on wind energy and electric cars and forcing everybody into electric cars. When uh, Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg was asked, uh, well, what, you, what is in the Build Back Better bill that, that's important to you? He said, uh, quote, it contains incentives to make it more affordable to buy an electric vehicle. Well, you know, most Americans would rather have lower gas prices than have to be forced to buy a new car. And uh, so, I, but the the Biden administration, I think, goes even well beyond the Obama administration in terms of their coziness with the environmental extremists. Well, and you point out, Jeff, right from the very beginning of his administration, the Biden administration has just been hostile to the fossil fuel industry, right? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I mean, they... They've been at, really kept out of the of the policy making process. I think They're, the whole attitude is anti fossil fuels. Uh, again, force people to go in another direction, and we're seeing the prices at the pump. Jeff, talk about the 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 difference, and you point this out in your article in American Greatness, Greatness about the difference between Obama, who many people consider very liberal, and Biden when it comes to these environmental fossil fuel industries. Biden or Obama was much more of a pragmatist, wasn't he? Yeah, Obama couldn't resist taking credit for fracking success. He highlighted that in his State of the Union address back in 2012. He talked about our energy independence, how we were less dependent upon foreign oil. Um, Biden has, has not had that be his emphasis at all. Um, instead, he's focused on, on all the uh, environmental extremism, and he doesn't uh, seem to particularly care that prices have, have been going up, although they've gone up enough recently, I think that there's, his administration is starting to get slightly concerned but even now, the attitude is amazing. His, uh, a spokesman from the Energy Department, David Mayorga, recently said, quote, it's important for the American oil and gas industry to address near-term energy demands while also recognizing that they need to begin transitioning their companies, which is just amazing. Like, you, know, you need to do us a solid now and start pumping more oil, but... Uh, but you're going the way of the dodo you know, very shortly. <laughs> well, what if, in fact, America converts to more electric vehicles, uh, which I, is the goal of the administration? Where are we going to get the energy to power those vehicles? Hey, has anyone asked those questions, Jeff? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I mean, it's, it's taken as a given that electric vehicles are better for the environment than gas vehicles, but that doesn't seem to be unequivocally clear at all, given the, you know, the the rare earth minerals or metals that have to be procured to, um, you know, to build the batteries in the first place, the, the charging, the disposal of the batteries at the end. Um, it, it's, there's a lot of environmental costs to an electric car that are not being factored into the equation. It's kind of like with the wind energy that is um, allegedly comes at no environmental cost, when in reality the, the wind is not only bad for a human environment, no, the, the windmills, mm-hmm, nobody wants mm-hmm, to live near them mm-hmm, or look at them, mm-hmm. but they're horrible for birds and bats and now uh, <laughs> right whales out in the ocean. So you even see a sort of um, inconsistency in terms of the, uh, the energy environmental extremists focused on quote-unquote climate change triumphing over uh, the environmentalists who'd rather focus on animal conservation. Seeing how fast the gas prices have come up and how dissatisfied Americans are with the rise in gas prices, does Joe Biden even have the courage, do you think, Jeff, to tell people in his administration, we need to slow this down, back off on this a little bit, or we're in serious trouble here? Well, if they do that at all, it'll be a very short-term um, move based on political expediency, but it, it won't be, you know, his heart certainly won't be in it because he... Uh, his focus is clearly on the uh, the environmental advocates and what they want, rather than everyday Americans and what they want. What do you make of this latest gimmick that is being discussed in Washington about suspending the federal gasoline tax for a while until prices come down? Pure politics, isn't it, Jeff? Yeah, I mean that's not clearly not a long term solution. Uh, 
it makes it, it's just purely to try to paper over a, a problem, uh, but it, the problem isn't going away. I think uh, the way to make the problem go away is actually embrace fossil fuels as as part of a, a responsible energy policy. Final question for you, Jeff. As I was watching the Super Bowl here the other day, I was I was amazed that almost every car commercial I saw was about electric vehicles. Uh, you know, are Americans ready to go there the way the administration wants us to go right now? Do you think the American people are really ready to give up their combustible engine cars? <laughs> no, uh, I don't think so. I mean, I uh, I drive around in my uh, my 2000 Mustang with 242,000 miles on it. it, has a Utah Jazz plate on the front of it, and uh, I have no interest in giving that up to go to an electric car. I think this is clearly not something being driven by Americans and their desires. People don't buy electric cars unless they're heavily, heavily subsidized at taxpayer expense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even then, they don't buy many of them. Um, but the uh, you know the car companies are are more or less walking in lockstep now with the Obama with the Biden administration. Um, I think they view that as as a necessity, but it's not what Americans want. I don't believe. On our newsmaker line, that is Jeff Anderson. Wrote an article today in American Greatness about gas price change, not climate change, is what matters to Americans. Couldn't agree more. All right, more coming up on the Rod Arkent Show and Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. Listen, and you'll know. Let's talk about enjoying southern Utah for a little bit with a weekend getaway at Ruby's Inn, which is located right there at the gates of Bryce Canyon National Park. Ruby's Inn, it's the perfect family getaway from spring break or to start your summer vacation off on the right foot in a desert oasis. It's surrounded by beautiful red rock hoodoos and the Ponderosa Pines. Now, they have three different hotels where you can stay, and they have RV parking and campsites to choose from. You can stay at the Bryce Grand. I mean, it's absolutely great. Other hotels, they have three of them there for you. As a family-friendly destination, they can provide you the best accommodations for you, offering bike and ATV rentals, horseback riding. So check it out today. Book your early spring getaway or even a summer getaway right now at Ruby's Inn. Just go to rubiesinn.com. That's rubiesinn.com. Hey, honey. A dirt road to any place Long as I'm long gone Chasing down some blue skies In my old truck Turn the world out Turn the radio Sing along To my freedom song The Rod Arquette Show On Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS all right, welcome back. Final half hour of the Rod Arquette Show with you on this Thursday evening. Great to be with you. Don't forget, Jesse Kelly coming your way at the top of the hour, 7 o'clock, here on KNRS. Now, I mentioned before the break we were talking about inflation being a key issue in the midterm elections. Another one, of course, is going to be the crime spree. Massive spikes in crime stem from so many factors. It's really a complicated issue. And joining us on our newsmaker line to talk about that right now is Amy Swear. Amy is a senior legal policy analyst at the Heritage Foundation. Amy, thanks for joining us this evening here on the Rod Arkent Show. How complex is the issue when it comes to discussing the spike in crime all around the country? How complex of an issue is this, Amy? Well, I, I think, uh, unfortunately, you know, it's a, it's a lot more complicated than a lot of people want it to be. A lot of people want these very simple, easy answers, which is why you get a lot of things to the effect of, well, you know, this, this is about guns. The problem is guns. We have too many guns. We need to do something about guns. Um, you know, the, the reality is we have crime because we have people. People are complex beings. Uh, there are a lot of complex factors that go into crime. The good thing is, 
uh, even though we know it's complex, we know that there are still, nonetheless, a lot of things we can do to combat, uh, specifically right now, this surge in violent crime. Uh, we know at least some of the major factors uh, that are contributing to this, and we know how to go after those factors without necessarily, uh, you know, also you know, sweeping in law-abiding gun owners who mm-hmm. are just exercising their constitutional rights. Um, you know, so, so we, we know some answers, and we also know how not to violate the Constitution in the meantime. Amy, what about there's been such an effort to uh, demoralize law enforcement in this country uh, for a number of years now. Um, are, are police afraid to police anymore because of the microscope or that they're under right now? Well, look, I think there's certainly a number of studies that uh, have looked at this and have looked at the ways that uh, law enforcement agencies, entire agencies and then individual police officers have sort of changed the ways in which they go about policing, um, in part because they are uh, not necessarily uh, afraid of doing the, the wrong thing, but of being ca- caught in a situation um, y- you know, where maybe the public is getting either a, a snippet of a video and, and making snap judgments based off of half-truths or you know, incomplete information, uh, but also just because they don't necessarily feel that the department has their back, that they're capable of, of actually enforcing the law in a meaningful way without sort of getting thrown under the rug um, sorry, is getting you know getting getting thrown under the the, the bus, um, and this is problematic. And I, I think there are a number of studies that have shown just how problematic this is when law enforcement officers don't feel as though they're capable of doing their jobs in an effective manner without um, you know get, getting in trouble with the department or without feeling like it's going to be taken in a wrong. Amy, with everything that's going on in the country right now, we tend to blame COVID for everything. Can we can we blame COVID for a uh, surge in crime, Amy? I think we can certainly blame it as one of the main factors, and, and not COVID itself, but we can blame some of the policies that have come out of COVID that have really, uh, frankly, decimated some of the, the progress that we had otherwise made with respect to gun violence prevention manners. Uh, sorry, gun violence prevention mechanisms. Um, so when you look at, uh, for example, COVID shutdown orders that have been going on uh, in some places for years now, one of the first things that did was shut down community violence intervention programs, whether they're, they're either like official mechanisms or more informal mechanisms that communities have relied on to combat violent crime. Um, you know, e- even things like prolonged school shutdowns. Um, you know, you, you look at right now these surging carjackings, for example, in D.C., in Philadelphia, in Chicago. Overwhelmingly, that surge is being sparked by juveniles. Uh, you know, you have the mayor of Chicago at, at this point even going so far as to admit this, to say, look, you, you know, there, there seems to be some evidence that these prolonged school shutdowns have facilitated this spike in, in violent carjackings by juveniles who we've just sort of lost, who have been bored, who you know aren't going to school, who are now you know it's now difficult to get them back in into these these institutions, getting them back going into school, uh, and this has been problematic in in so many ways. And we have to acknowledge the role that these shutdowns have played uh, 
in facilitating some of this violent crime. Amy, I want to go back to a point you were talking about a moment ago, and that's this debate over guns and putting new regulations on guns. The president, of course, traveled to New York a week or two ago and met with the mayor there, and the mayor is concerned or expressed, you know, the black market of guns. (laughs) Guns are pouring into New York City from other states. What if is that true? First of all, and what what could be done about the black market in guns? Uh, well, look in, in places like New York City and Chicago, where it's incredibly difficult to even legally obtain a firearm. Uh, you know, places like Chicago, and I'm fairly certain this is true in New York as well, where there uh, in Chicago, for example, there's not any legal gun stores. Um, but you know, it's, it's fairly similar in New York City, where most guns legal or illegal are going to be coming in from outside of the city. Um, you know, so to, to blame guns from outside of the city, well, most of your legal guns are going to be from outside of the city as well. So I don't think that's really a fair, uh, you know, factor to take into this. But in terms of, you know, this underground black market, that is, in fact, where most criminals are getting their guns. They're not going through legal mechanisms. They're not going through, you know, they're not showing up to their local gun store and saying, hey, please run a background check on me. They're going through these informal uh, actors who are already willing to break existing laws to sell them those guns, um, or they're, you know, they're, they're stealing them from law-abiding gun owners, um, or they're getting them from people who, uh, you know, are already, again, just willing to break the law, willing to sell to felons, willing to lend felons their guns, and they're not going to change that. They're, you know, they're not going to change their behavior and all of a sudden say, well, I'll start abiding by the law because now you've made it doubly illegal. Um, and, and so I think a, a lot of these policies that keep getting put forward, you know, they they attack the legal mechanisms for buying guns. They make it harder to legally purchase mm-hmm. guns, mm-hmm. but they're not actually effectively stopping or interfering with people who have already been breaking the law to get those guns. And I think that's what we need to focus on is that enforcement of those existing laws instead of just making it doubly illegal. Final question for you, Amy. Do you see this spike in crime slowing down anytime soon? Well, you know, I think there is some hope. Um, you know, I, I think on the one hand, uh, it is good that we're, we're seeing things, at least in many areas of the country, starting to get back to normal uh, with, with some of these uh, COVID shutdown mandates being rescinded. Um, you know, I, I think the, the problem, unfortunately, is that, you know, if you think about this in terms of like a physical injury, right, it, it's very easy to injure yourself the first time. It's hard then to, to get that healing process back. That takes time. It's a lot faster to injure your knee than to heal it. And I think we're unfortunately going to see that in, uh, in these factors that lead to violent crime. You know, it's very easy to get people out of these gun violence intervention programs, um, you know, to, to shut down and interfere with institutions that are vital. It, it's a lot harder to get those started back up and to get people brought back into those, you know, formal or informal mechanisms that interfere, interfere with gun violence and to make those effective again. So unfortunately, I think it's going to take a little bit more time to solve this problem than it did to cause it in the first place. Amy Swearer, she is a uh, senior legal policy analyst at the Heritage Foundation, joining us to talk about the crime spree taking place all around the country. All right, more coming up on the Radar Show and Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. Listen and you'll know. All right, I want you to imagine someday a lake, a Utah lake, down in Utah County, that is clean, safe, beautiful, and vibrant. A lake where you won't get sick from just getting a mouthful of water. 
Well, that's the idea behind a huge project. It's called the Utah Lake Restoration Project. The project includes creating islands that will help conserve tens of billions of gallons of water per year, islands that will be set aside for wildlife, recreation, beaches, research, and vibrant, eco-friendly communities. It's all there for you right now. Now, the problems we have in Utah Lake, let's be honest, they're a human-made problem. And isn't it our obligation to fix what we broke? You don't want to leave the lake as is, and there are people out there who say it will cure itself over time. There are a lot of people who say, if we can make it happen faster, why not try it? I want you to find out more about it. Just go to imagineutahlake.org to check it out today and find out about the future of Utah Lake. Stay late. The Ron Arquette Show, final segment with you on this Thursday evening in Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. Listen and you'll know. Well, a name that I think you're probably familiar with, we've had him on the show quite often, is a man by the name of Adam Angievsky. Adam is the CEO and founder of Open the Books, which is a um, website that digs into all kinds of things when it comes to government expenses. Now, recently... Adam wrote a series of articles on the net worth of one Dr. Anthony Fauci. Well, apparently, that did not sit well with the people at Forbes. He's been a contributor there at Forbes magazine for nearly eight years. Not anymore. And Adam is joining us on our Newsmaker line right now. Adam, what did you do to Forbes that really ticked him off? Well, in my column at Forbes, you know, we were the ones that broke that Dr. Anthony Fauci is the top-paid federal bureaucrat. And he's obviously the most visible that gives us obligation to give them oversight. And I don't think the Forbes editors like that. They admonished me for writing too much about Fauci. But only four times over the course of the last year, 54 columns, did I even write about it. So 92% of my column was dedicated to other subjects. Only 8% was dedicated to Fauci. And every single time I broke a column on Fauci, it was national and international news. And did they not like the attention you were bringing to the column and to the website? I can't believe they'd shut it down because, well, you're bringing us too much attention. So think about this. All of this came to a head about a month ago when the Honorable U.S. Senator Roger Marshall from Kansas in the well of the United States Senate with Fauci under oath questioned him on his finances. And he cited Forbes, which was my column. Uh, I don't think the Forbes editors like that citation. Um, he, Marshall then wrote an oversight letter to the National Institutes of Health demanding Fauci releases financials and cited again my column. That was successful in breaking open his 2019 and 2020 unredacted financials that no one had ever seen before. And my organization, coupled up with Judicial Watch, we had filed a federal lawsuit for those documents and many others. I have a lot more oversight coming uh, on Dr. Anthony Fauci. For example, the National Institutes of Health, they admit to holding 1,200 pages subject to our federal lawsuit on Fauci's financials. Now, Ron, you know, the American Rescue Act was the latest COVID bill, and it spent $2 trillion, and it was only 600 pages long. Fauci has 1,200 pages subject to his financials. And every single page could be a national <laughs> news story. But I won't be publishing that at Forbes because they terminated my column. Adam, as you, as you dug into his finances in your series of columns uh, over the last couple of months on this, Adam, what did you find most startling? 
that its household net worth rivaled $11 million, that during the height of the pandemic in 2020, while Fauci's policies were causing economic lockdowns in the private sector across the country, the Fauci's on the Fauci's made $1.7 million, and most of that was from their federal employment. Rod, many people don't realize that Dr. Fauci's wife, Christine Grady, is the chief bioethicist at the National Institutes of Health, and she out-earns the vice president. She makes north of 235000 a year. Fauci out-earns the president. In 2021, he made 456000 You tack on their taxpayer paid cost of benefits at 30%, and the two Fauci's at taxpayer expense every year clean off $900,000. That's amazing. Does he compare to anyone else in the federal government on that level, Adam? He's the most highly compensated federal employee in history. And we know why. From my Forbes column I wrote about in 2004 in the George W. Bush administration, we unearthed the memo where Fauci got a permanent pay adjustment. Consider it a permanent bonus. It's why he's the number one most highly compensated federal employee, because of his work on biodefense. He was paid to stop the next pandemic, and he failed. Adam, did the people at Forbes come to you at all prior to what has happened in the last couple of days and indicate to you, eh, you better back down, we don't like in this direction that you're going? Did they give you any kind of a, a warning and say, be careful with this, it could lead to uh, you getting fired by us? Well, 24 hours before they told me that I could not publish on Dr. Fauci any longer, one of the Forbes editors complained and admonished me for publishing three pieces in three weeks on Dr. Anthony Fauci. Well, here's the problem with that. As you know, when Marshall queried Fauci in the well of the Senate, Fauci said that his financial information was publicly available. So the first column that I put up was that, no, it's not publicly available, but NIH should release it immediately because we were actually suing for that data. I was the subject matter expert to be able to answer that on the Forbes platform in a hearing that was top of the national and international news cycle with the most visible bureaucrat in the hot seat who then called the senator in his code red moment a moron. Yeah. <laughs> so. And then, and then, obviously, the senator got the financials, and immediately we went up with oversight there because we had unique expertise. Where do you go from here now, Adam? Well, subject to our lawsuit, we got the 1,200 pages to give oversight to on Dr. Fauci. And we're, going, we're looking for a home to publish this content. And in the absence of that, we're going to publish it all on our own website, all of our original reporting at OpenTheBooks.com. Adam Angievsky. He is the founder of OpenTheBooks.com, joining us on our Newsmaker line tonight. All right, that does it for us tonight. Head up, shoulders back. May God bless you and your family. Thanks for joining us this afternoon and this evening. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Thank Rod, it's Friday tomorrow. We invite you to join us at 4. Enjoy the rest of the evening.
guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.